we went up to uh, camp and uh, had a long trip up to northern Minnesota. So I was getting ready to go, and I dug out my CDs, my old CDs, right? I need something for the trip. Uh, so I'm uh, just going through some of these old CDs, you know, and, and uh, this music, uh, a lot of Christian music I have not listened to in a long time because uh, you, you turn on the, the radio stations that they have, and it's the same three songs over and over again. So I, so I, I got out one, and um, I didn't take it on the trip, but there's one um, called, uh, some, of you, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. It was a group called DC Talk. Uh, and uh, and they had an album named uh, Jesus Freak. It was the only one I ever listened to because I was never really into rap. And so it was their non-rap uh, album. And, um, and and it was the the song, the title track for this album, I, I really couldn't stand. I liked all the other music. I, I didn't like this one. Because their definition of Jesus Freak uh, was, um, uh, according to the first stanza, was a big, fat, shirtless guy with the tattoo of Jesus on his stomach. That was a, that was a Jesus freak. And I thought, no, that's just an ordinary freak. Uh, that's, just, that's just your run-of-the-mill freak. Um, and I don't think that's really what God was, was picturing uh, when he wanted us to, to uh, be different. Uh, when we, we talk about being different uh, from the world. And uh, that's what the book of Acts is about. And this last week we've been reading through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about being different. Our culture has something called attention deficit disorder. Now, now I'm not talking about the medical condition, but we have a, a short-term span. We have broken homes, um, and uh, there's not a, a lot of spare attention uh, to, to run around uh, and, and give um, because families are so busy with, with some of the the basic things. Um, now we add in the, the time that, that parents are doing this. Right? There's a lot of attention that, that, that is missing uh, in kids' lives. And so as a result, kids do anything for attention. And so, so when we're talking about, uh, you know, being freaks, you just see kids doing odd things just to get noticed and, and, and being different, right? Being different just for the sake of, of being different. That's not what we're talking about. We're be, talking about being different with a purpose. Acts is this book about how to be opposite, how to be counter to the culture. One of the, the, our common idioms comes to do with this that we use today comes from the Bible, comes from our reading today. We're going to, be, we're going to read the, the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. You know, in the Old Testament, you say we're going to read the chapter of, and unless you're in Psalms, that could be dangerous. Um, but Acts, for, fortunately, they're, they're shorter chapters. So when I say we're reading the 17th chapter of, of Acts, we're, we're not really in. in uh, we're not going to be going over time. Well, we might, but it's not my fault. I just, we do have a clock up there this week, and I will draw your attention to the fact that I did not get up here. At 10.30, so it's not my bad. Acts chapter 17. It says, When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his custom was, went in 
to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the uh, prominent women, joined Paul and Silas. The Jews were not persuaded, became envious, and took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathered a mob, and set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and brought them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers to the rulers of the city and said, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word of ready with, with all readiness and searched the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. And so therefore many of them believed, and not just a few of the Greeks, leading women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul and Maria, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away to, uh, to go to the sea, and uh, Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked in him when he saw the city was given over to idols. And therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is of which you are speaking. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, and therefore we wish to know what they mean. For the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing but listening to things that were new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Because as I was going through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar that had this inscription, To the unknown God. Well, therefore, the one whom you proclaim without even knowing I proclaim him to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed some, since he gives to everyone life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in the face of the earth and to determine their pre-appointed times and borders of their dwelling, so that they should seek their Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. And we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this by... All, but to all, by raising him from the dead. And when they heard this about the resurrection of the dead, they started mocking him, and others said, well, well, we'll listen to you again about this. 
So Paul departed from them and said, However, some men, uh, and, however, some men joined him and believed, and among them was Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. I want to look at how to properly be different. Well, the first thing is that you have to be different. Uh, what I mean by that is God has not merely asked us to act differently. That's a, that's a part of it. We, we focus sometimes on, on acting differently. When we talk about being different from the world, we focus on the, the, the ways that we do things that are different from the world. We talk about righteousness and unrighteousness, and we talk about uh, not living in the same way that, that people, people live so that there's a noticeable difference. And that's good. That's good. But what I want to focus on just for just a moment is that before we even get to the acting and, and the ways that, that we are seen as different, before it even gets to an action, we have to be internally something different, composed of a different nature. I want you to notice that it says in verse 16, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked inside of him. Just going through and seeing this thing, it provoked him. Before anybody knew who he was, or, or had a chance to see him acting differently, Paul was moved inside of him because he had a different nature. It's a process. You won't do this immediately. You don't go from enjoying something to 180 degrees opposite. And so, so you're like, oh, sometimes I don't feel different. Sometimes I don't... I, I get the idea that I, I should be more different. Um, there's ways to be different. Um, we were, when we, we lived in Ukraine, we decided to cut out sugar. My wife and I did. Actually, I did. My wife went along with it. Um, because things were advancing in a direction in which it became obvious that, that we should we should I should make that particular change at that point in time. So I said, completely and totally. Not permanent situation, but just, we're just going to do it for a while. And so we did. We'll, we'll wean ourselves back onto an appropriate level. You know, you make stuff, you, know, like, you make like a dessert breakfast, like, you know, like a, something healthy, like a, like a peach crisp or something like that. That, that sounds, it's got fruit in it and it's healthy. You ever look at how much sugar they say, put in that thing, like three cups of sugar. And you, we just go, okay, that's what the recipe says. So we just, three cups of sugar. Don't even think about it. It was a half a bag of sugar. Just went into a peach crisp. That's healthy, right? And so, so uh, like, well, we're cutting out. So, so we would do things to, to not, I don't use fake sugar. I don't use fake sugar. I, I, can't, I can't get past it. I can sense it. And uh, so, so you just do other stuff, right? But, so when we weaned ourselves back and we thought, half of the sugar, that would be good, right? You wean yourself back out to it. If I cut the, the recipe in half, just in the sugar area, that would be good. I couldn't eat it. I was like, this is nasty. I, like, ah, I can't drink a Mountain Dew to this day. It's like, I could just taste, 
I just taste chemical. Right? I, it's so nasty. Uh, just it changed. It changed something inside of me. I don't know what it was, but I just I noticed. I think my those wonderful lemon square things. You ever have those? So they burn my tongue. There's so much sugar in those things. I can't eat a lemon meringue pie. That's so nasty. Right? It's just ugh. the nature has been changed. Cut out your entertainment for a while. I mean cold turkey. Cut it. Do that. And as you wean yourself back onto it, you will notice things. Ah, I forgot that was in that movie. Whoa, and things jump out at you like, oh, man. Be different. But I want to spend a little bit more time on the culture around us and how we counter it now that we are different. This phrase, he says, turn the world upside down. Be completely opposite. Not just for the sake of being opposite, but how to turn that world upside down. Notice God never asked us to take a vow of silence. He never asked us to, to go up somewhere and be completely different. In fact, if you go back to John 17 and, and, and read Jesus' prayer before, uh, before he's crucified, he specifically says, God, I'm not asking that you take them out of it, but that rather you send them into it. Send them into the world. But be different. Affect the world. And how do we do that? The first thing I notice in verse 23, it says, As I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription. He goes on from there. Look for a connecting point. How do you connect to someone that's completely opposite? Your nature has changed. I'm completely different. Well, it takes some time sometimes. But Paul looked for some connecting point in the culture where he could have something common. Hey, he had the real, it was a long way to Graham's house, as we say. But he found something. He found some way to connect to these people. Well, you're very religious. That sounds kind of good. You're very religious, at least. And, and here's a connecting point. And so... so where you're at here, I'm going to try to connect to you there. Because I'm so opposite because of this, this change that's come in me. Obviously, I want you to, to make this change too. But, but for now, we're so separate. But I'm going to connect on this point. And he diligently, he just walked through the town. He's like, my goodness, how am I going to connect to these people? And he found one idol. He's like, okay, I think I can get there from here. He found one thing in their society that he could connect on. But he connected. Look for some connecting point. We often look at deficiencies of our culture as obstacles. Well, they are. But they're also connecting points. There was uh, two shoe salesmen. Uh, this is a story that's been redone, and you've probably heard it. But the two, two shoe salesmen were 
uh, and they, they were in Africa, and, and they, they left the cities because they had, you know, they wanted to expand their, their businesses, and so they went out to these villages, and they came back, and one guy says, um, no sense. They don't wear shoes out there in those villages. The other guy comes back and he says, order as many shoes as you can. No one wears shoes. <laughs> it's all how you look at it, right? It's, it, 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 it can be an obstacle or it can be an opportunity. Is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? The, the, the cultural deficiencies around us are, are not just obstacles. They are opportunities. Let me give you some examples as we look at the cultural connectors. We, we talked about the family issues. Those are opportunities. Yes, they're problems. It's hard to connect to people. They're on their technology and they're doing this and, and they're so busy, but there's opportunities as well. Because in the things where, where people don't have them, they are looking for those things. That's why the programs like a VBS are so important. There are cultural deficiencies and, and things that, that show the connection of the church to the, to the concept of family. People get that, the, that families need help. They feel it. They know it. That's an opportunity. You know, one of the advantages, if you... Again, we might have to look far and wide for, for something good to say, but 40, 50 years ago, when you talked about religion, you had to immediately fight fights. Right? It was immediately, because everyone was well-versed in theology. Everybody knew stuff, and you, and you had to have this debate. Now we have to have this debate. Now we have to have this. Like Any conversation immediately went to a debate. We live in an unchurched world. There's, there's almost no debates you have to have. Because they're so unchurched. Because, because they've gotten away from it. You can just sit down and discuss the Scriptures. People go, oh, yes, it does say that. And it, there's very few fights that you have to have. I mean, it's a positive. It's not just an obstacle. There are positives to things. I want to talk about something called uh, postmodernism. There's a professor that asked his students, uh, I forget what university it was at, but he asked his students what postmodernism is. And they said, well, that's when you use air quotes to talk about everything. And he's like, yeah, that kind of actually what it means. In a way, it's like, well, the truth is this, or reality is this. That's kind of postmodernism, where nothing really means what it means. That's postmodernism. Postmodernism is, is this idea that this, um, we like to talk about everything is nuanced, or everything is subjective, and there's no... Uh, uh, postmodernism hates anything absolute. Anything absolute. And this has been taught from, from the, the, the 60s and 70s. It, it's been a growing doctor. We are living in a postmodern world where, where nothing is absolute. What the definition of is, is. I mean, that's postmodernism. 
people, how do you talk about something concrete with the people who hate anything concrete? What an obstacle. What an obstacle. There's never been more self-doubt than now. Because people need foundation. People crave. People crave something of substance, of something solid. We're talking about generations that have no self-confidence. Because they've been raised without any, any tangible concepts to build their lives on. They crave it. They will respond to it. The reason that the churches in this world, in this country, are not having the effect that they should be having is because they've bought into postmodernism. And, and churches don't want to teach absolutes. And so what do you get? You get people who live in postmodernism and they walk in a church building and they hear postmodernism and it's not giving them anything. So there, I'm out of here, Jack. Because if I want squishy stuff, I can live out here and have squishy stuff. The church needs to be the opposite of the culture. We need to not get into counterculture and, well, it might have meant this. And it may mean that. That's postmodernism. There's no room in that. God gave us foundation. He gave us bedrock to live on. And people will respond to it because they crave it. They've not heard that before. Their only religious experiences has been for people to say, well, some people think this. They already have that. That's what they live all day. And it doesn't do anything for them. Look at verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. God is not very big on nuance. He's not very big on subjective. He is very binary. That's the new phrase. He's very much black and white. He is absolute. And God is not something to be shaped by our devising, our philosophies, our culture. Every generation, and all the problems, every generation has them, their little cultural viewpoints and, and worldviews and all that, every generation has tried to read their culture into the Bible and find who they are in the Bible. It works the other way around. You won't find Gen X worldview in the Bible. You won't find World War II generation worldview in the Bible. You will find the Bible in the Bible. And it is up to us, no matter what generation we are a part of, to conform to this. 
As we close, I want you to not be afraid of the chaos. It's my challenge. He says, um, these people are turning the world upside down. No. They were turning it right side up. But I suppose if you've been living upside down, that would be upside down when you got turned right side up. Don't be afraid of the chaos. The apostles had to shake it up a little bit. And in the process of that, everything had been nailed to the ceiling so it would stay there. Right? Everything's upside down. So we can try to live upside down. God, and everything goes all over the place. So that's what had to happen. Sorry. Broke a few things. Don't be afraid of chaos. Don't feel that you have to fit in. The chaos is necessary to restore order. As long as we go around pretending everything in culture is fine and this is acceptable and this is wonderful and this is nice, nothing gets done. Don't avoid the chaos. But as we leave these doors, understand that you have nothing to offer to anybody until you have it yourself. Until you are different. Inside you have nothing to offer anyone out there. Have you been changed in your actions? Okay. But let's back up from that. Have you been changed in your worldview? Has your worldview, there's fine things in worldview and culture and all that. But have I, have I conformed to this? Or have I tried to make this fit me? Until my viewpoint fits what was intended, I have not changed. I've tried to make God change to fit me. And so, the challenge as we leave, do not leave those doors without being one step closer. Wherever you are at, be one step closer. Whatever it is that you need, Find someone, grab somebody. Whatever it is you need, be one step closer.